0: It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to yet another fantastic... well, we think it's going to be fantastic episode of (laughs) Movies You Should Love. I'm Lauren, and with me, as always, is... A very optimistic Scott. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Well, anyhow, here we are. We're on uh, the Movies You Should Love podcast. What we do here, it's kind of like film school without the tuition, is what we like to say. We basically... Look at films, um, kind of analyze them, pick them apart, critique them, and, uh, you know, figure out what makes them tick and why people love them or hate them, I suppose. Um, if you want to tell us what you think about movies, you can do it. Uh, moviesyoushouldlove.com is our website, or you can get us on Facebook, facebook.com slash moviesyoushould, or on Twitter, um, our account is Should. So, yeah, that's what you can do to get a hold of us. Today we are going to be talking about number 73 on the AFI Top 100 Film List, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, A Mm -hmm. classic Western with Robert Redford and Paul Newman. um, And the catchy song, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Uh, But until then, um, what else has been going on, Scott?
1: Um... Kelly and I went and saw the movie Safety Not Guaranteed.
0: Man, I really want to see that. That looked good.
1: It is. It's really good. I'd really recommend it. It's really quirky, and it definitely feels like an independent film. Um, I, we loved it, honestly. It's like the, At first, it gets going at the first 10-15 minutes is a little slow, to the point that I became a little bit worried sitting in the theater, going, oh no. Please tell me that this wasn't just a well-put-together trailer. But at about the 10-15 minute mark, um... The main character, Aubrey Plaza, who you might know from, like, Parks and Rec or Scott Pilgrim, um, she meets the kind of the main male character, the, the focus of the film, um, and that's when really the film just kind of takes off and it really clicks. The movie's basically about, like, these people who work in a magazine, I believe it's, like, in Seattle, the northwest, um... And they're going to go interview this guy who has put an ad in the newspaper saying that he is going to be traveling uh, back in time shortly. He's looking for a companion. Um, safety not guaranteed. <laughs> you know, I've only done this once before. And so this whole movie is kind of based on is this guy crazy or is he actually building a time machine? And that's kind of the thrust of the whole film. And then it kind of becomes a little bit of a character drama and romance, and a, all, but constantly a comedy. Just a very kind of quirky comedy that uh, we thoroughly enjoyed I would really recommend it to anybody
0: Nice yeah I remember seeing the trailer and going wow that looks really good so it's,
1: it's a lot of fun it's, it's really just a lot of fun and like the, uh, I forget the main characters um, main actor's name um, but the way he plays this guy this this uh, this time traveling person this character who wants to ta- travel through time you you'd go through the whole film never quite knowing if he is a genius or an idiot you know it's like they plays it so so well so funnily um, like it kind of reminds you of a 10-year-old boy constantly just going is this guy for real is it you know this could be awful but it's great <laughs> nice very cool indeed um, what have you been watching oh man um,
0: well i've seen a couple of movies uh, i saw larry crown and these are both you know older movies at this Point, I guess, but Larry Crown, uh, which was um, Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. Tom Hanks directed, um, and uh, you know, uh, for me, you know, Tom Hanks directing, you know, that's to me that is um, that thing you do or something yeah. like that. You know, that's that's what I have in my mind, and and you know, that's an amazing movie. And this this movie, not so much. It's kind of a it's it's a romantic comedy that happens kind of here during the whole budget crunch with people losing their jobs and going back right. to school and stuff and you know it it just never quite it never rings true and the characters are all characters who don't exist in real life right. you know it's uh, i don't know it's it's just it's kind of a frustrating movie because i can see how it could have been quite good Mm -hmm. and instead it's kind of mediocre at best bad. yeah um you know everybody does fine in it but it's just it has more to do with I think the writing and the characterization and um yeah so mediocre at best I would say
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um so the other movie that I saw uh, is Jeff who lives at home which Mm -hmm. came out very recently I think on DVD Mm -hmm. um and uh, we weren't going to talk about this one today, because you, well, have okay. a, you have a haven't seen it on your... Uh... I
1: haven't seen it yet, but that's fine. Keep going, man.
0: Yeah, all right. Well, um, <laughs> or I can edit this part out. No, uh, keep going. Keep going. All right. So, Jeff, who lives at home. Um, I actually didn't have any of my information up for it, because we weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> Why don't I just edit this part out, Scott? Okay, that's
1: fine. All right.
0: So, uh, the other thing I've been seeing, uh, not really a movie but more of a TV series, Mm -hmm. um, is I've been watching through the first, uh, couple seasons of the Borgias, which is a Showtime,
1: uh, show. From the creator of the Tudors.
0: Yeah, I believe so. Um, and yeah, you know, I think different people are going to come at this differently. It kind of, the main thrust is it's about, um, you know, it's during the 1400s in Rome Mm -hmm. and, uh, You know, it follows the Borgia family, um, who uh, kind of a lot of people credit with, like, being the start of the mafia kind of thing. Uh, The movie doesn't really go into that so much, but, you know, the head of the house, you know, the first episode is about him becoming Pope, and, like, his political machinations to become Pope, basically.
1: The trailers, to me, especially in retrospect, make me think it's, like, a Catholic uh, Game of Thrones.
0: It's totally a catholic game of thrones <laughs> okay. It's it's amazing it is it is game of thrones set in the vatican basically and wow. and italy um anchored by jeremy irons as the pope character mm-hmm. and it's it's fantastic i've i have loved every episode of it um you know as much as you can love an episode of something where, you know, people are dying and being tortured and raped and, you know, all the horrible things that happen to people
1: um, in the name of God. But... <laughs> yeah, um, how, how, how does how does it walk that line? I mean, not walk that line, but is this kind of the show that Christians are going to be kind of upset about, or is it something that geared kind of... or the Catholic League is going to be upset about? I mean, is this something that... I'm, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody
0: else. To me... It um, to me it it feels pretty authentic from from what I know about history mm-hmm. and um, and about this time period, you know it. it uh, a Pope, uh, oh, what, was it Alexander? The sixth, I think, which is who he became, Pope Alexander VI, I believe. You know, he was one of those popes where, you know, he had kids, um, he had mistresses while he was a pope, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff where um, you know, his kids definitely, you know, one of whom was a cardinal under him, um, you know, definitely were involved in assassination plots and you know, all kinds of stuff. It was was definitely a very political period uh, for the papacy, I would say, and for, Mm -hmm. you know, Italy and everything at this time. Um, And you know, the movie is very interesting because uh, or or the show is very interesting because I think it does walk the line um, it it never I don't feel the show ever makes a judgment on Christianity in any way shape or form it is truly about these characters mm-hmm. and the way they act mm-hmm. um, and it just happens to be that it is the Pope in fact his character has major um, questions about himself as he you know goes through there's, there's times where he feels that you know God is bringing his judgment on what he is doing and mm-hmm. um, you know, he goes into these periods of you know fasting and prayer and things. Um, you know, there's other times where he's ordering people's murders, kind of secondhand. Right. You know, so it's it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting show. I you know, I don't think it really. I'm sure it's there's enough in it that's going to anger someone. Um, right. I, you know, I think that's probably at least a little bit of the point, but at the same time, it really. You know how the Tudors uh, to me the Tudors felt like it was really trying to be um, salacious and kind of out there, and mm-hmm. um, you know it took a, it, it felt like it really took a lot of liberties with history to kind of tell the story it wanted to tell. Uh, to yeah. me, at least, that's that's how the the Tudors really felt. This feels much more grounded. Uh, down to to like watching the Tudors for me. Um, it always felt a little cheap, is the best way I can describe it. You know, you could always kind of tell the edge of the set. You know, you could tell yeah. what was real, what was fake, and you could you could always see the budget, I always felt, with the Tudors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a show, like, every single second in it, even when they pull back to the wide shots, it's like you are in Rome. It's, you know, it's cool. at the period. Um, and... You know, it just it the show feels much more authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um and it it feels more like actual history while still having all of the stuff. You know, I'm sure there's history people listening who are going to go, "Well, but everything is wrong in the show." And and that's probably <laughs> absolutely true. I'm, I'm not an expert on this period, but from what I do know, I know they get a lot right as well. Um and um you know, I, I know they're filling in stuff where there's speculation. I know they're filling in, you know, different things. But um yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I quite, quite enjoyed it. Uh, you know, definitely a mature rated kind of show. Lots yeah. of sex, lots of violence. I mean pretty pretty serious violence in it. Um especially as you get into the series. Uh there's torture there is um war scenes you know kind of the advent of canon is coming about during some of this and you know so there's there's a lot of pretty serious violence in this show um yeah but uh it's pretty fantastic i if i i would i would recommend it to anybody who you know if you like game of thrones if you liked the Tudors, if you liked rome the the hbo show rome Mm. you know Honestly, it's to me that this is somewhere kind of like between that and Deadwood, and um, mm. um, you know something like uh, Game of Thrones. So it's kind of it sits somewhere in between all of that to me. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome.
1: I have also been watching. Well, the, last Saturday night, Kelly and I watched a historical drama as well called How to Train Your Dragon. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, this is not our first time seeing it. Uh, this was however our first time seeing it with a couple of kids which was kind of fun we were uh we offered some respite care we are part of the foster care system now and this was our first time doing respite and we had uh, a 10 year old and 11 year old boy uh come over for the night and uh I pulled out a you know stack of appropriate movies and said, "Here, you guys can pick out whatever you want." And they they picked out How to Train Your Dragon, and we rewatched it. And it was a lot of fun to watch it. but It was also a lot of fun to watch them watch it because they really reacted to like the the comedy and the like the perils that uh, young Hiccup finds himself in. And it's really kind of a perfect movie for a ten year old because your your hero is kind of a ten or eleven year old baby. He might be borderline 13. Never really says, but um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's very, very different than the books that they're based on. Um, they kind of create a different kind of Viking world for Hiccup to uh, live in. And Toothless, the main dragon in it, is completely different than in the books. Um, but you really kind of forgive it. It's directed by and created by the same guy who did uh, Lilo and Stitch. And so a lot of the character design is very similar. It's a lot of fun, and we kind of love it, and I like it that it's a fun movie for kids, but also has a little bit of danger in it. Things happen, and there are consequences for decisions and consequences for actions. It's not just a, you know, everybody's going to walk home okay at the end of this kind of movie, yet it never gets too scary or too serious. It really walks that line perfectly I think Yeah, I would love was, to see more movies like it come out
0: that was something when I saw it that was something I really appreciated about it was that it you know so much of our entertainment is very sanitized for, for children now mm-hmm. and this movie you know it, it dealt with pretty adult themes but in a way that kids could relate to um, you mm-hmm. know which is what I think a lot of like the really great children's books and children's movies and things of through history have done
1: um, absolutely
0: and uh, yeah, man, it was it. It also because of that. It also I think really works for adults as well because, again, it's actually tackling real themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's one of my more favorite uh, animated movies that have come out in the last couple of years. Um,
1: definitely and definitely probably the best DreamWorks has done. Yeah, it really is like they really kind of did something new and different and i thought it was really cool yeah. that they did that it wasn't just another shrek or another yeah you know it, whatever
0: the, like it, to me it felt as fresh as the first shrek did when it came mm-hmm. out you know these
1: like it felt, i, I it know felt that felt like seems it could have really been a disney movie it's that kind of caliber it's not quite a pixar movie yeah. but it's really close it's yeah like it kind of fits in that same kind of mold and it's it's kind of wonderful
0: yeah definitely no i know it's it's weird to say like it could like the first shrek because shrek is such a franchise now but when the first one came out i mean that was a really big it was of, a breath know, of was, fresh air it was but, a breath oh, of cool. fresh air you know yeah. a
1: movie that doesn't take itself seriously and it was funny and it it poked fun at disney and all of the tropes of the fantasy genre um and, then and it became but, of, but then it became a franchise and it kind of yep. derailed but um yeah, no, definitely. I, How to Train Your Dragon It's just it's a great family film. And if you if you guys haven't read the books, I'd highly recommend them. I love the audiobooks. We I have both in the house. I have the books and the audiobooks cuz David Tennant reads all the books and he does great voices for all the characters. And like I'm, you know, I'm 31 years old and I'm listening to these books and I'm giggling, you know, cuz it's just funny fun stuff with these really <laughs> creatively and just like ridiculously named characters doing pretty fun Viking adventures. Yeah. With dragons.
0: Yeah, who doesn't love that? (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah. Um, So, the last thing that I've been watching.
1: Yeah, I think we should both end on a down note. (sighs) Yeah, oh, good. For thematic similarity. (laughs) Great.
0: Well, um, so the last thing I've I've watched is. you know, you've, uh, Listeners, you've been hearing us the last couple podcasts. We've been talking about this Titanic miniseries. Um, because, really, uh, apparently, since the Titanic podcast that we did a few months ago, we just have not been able to let this theme go. Um, we just can't let it we go. We just can't let it go. So I finally, now that Scott has talked about it a couple times, I finally sat down and watched uh, part of it. I haven't made it through the whole thing yet. I don't know if I will. Because... So here's the thing. I, I said I would watch this, Scott, and get back with you with mm-hmm, what I thought mm-hmm. on it. And here's kind of what I think about it. I think I fall into the camp of people who don't need a Titanic movie or miniseries at all. <laughs> That's fair. Um, and I and I think watching this, I have now realized that at least some of my issues with the first Titanic movie stem from the fact that I just don't need a Titanic movie.
1: Rather is it, than is it a matter of just like you're going into this? I mean, not, basically knowing the end from the beginning, kind of knowing you're watching. Probably half of these people are going to die, and so there's like this. There's just a little bit too much of that. No, see, honestly, I'm okay with
0: the whole thing with people dying, um because you know there's other tragedy things. Mm-hmm. You know where you know you sit down with Hamlet or something, and you know pretty much everyone is dead by the end. What? Um, sorry for the spoiler. Um, <sighs> You know, and so I think it's, you know, I think that's okay. I think tragedy is okay. Mm -hmm. It just turns out that I don't actually, uh, this is going to sound really callous somehow, but I don't really care about the Titanic story that much. You know, I think it's a tragedy, but honestly, that, just that whole story doesn't, I know the facts, Mm -hmm. and creating a fictionalized version of those facts just doesn't you know or or even a even a you know I might watch a documentary about it mm-hmm. and be okay with that but i'm just i'm i'm just not really interested in the spectacle of it, or of the—I
1: think that's completely fair.
0: Yeah, it, it just—it just doesn't work for me for some reason.
1: I, no, because like, what, what you're describing is kind of my was my reaction in a lot of ways to the miniseries, and I didn't—I don't know if it's because it's the Titanic or if it's because for me James Cameron kind of told the story, and so I—it was just really hard to be interested and to care about this group of characters <laughs> and this this new story. Yeah,
0: especially knowing how many of these characters are fictional and just don't. Yeah. You know, like it's like so what you're doing is you're you're really messing with me here by creating fake people who are, you know, icons of a class of people or, you know, they they kind of stand in for everything. But at the same time, you're going to, you know, make me care about them and then kill them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not real and it doesn't matter because these are not actually the people that it happened to. You know, like, I don't know, there's, yeah. just, there's something about it that just, there was no, there were so many barriers to entry for me to even be interested in it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it was just very hard for me to get through it. Um, yeah, I, I just, I think I don't really need to see much more about Titanic. You know, that said, I loved how Downton Abbey took the event of the Titanic and used mm-hmm. it to, to kind of propel an entire season of television. Yeah. You know, yeah. to, totally okay with something like that. Um, just not.
1: So we much don't need that, to be on board Titanic yeah, anymore.
0: You know, I'm, I'm I would be very cool with watching you know a movie about the guilt of a survivor
1: or well, that's yeah that's exactly what I said. was mm-hmm. like that's kind of that seems to be the story now that we haven't heard, and that would be the one that I would mm-hmm. I would go watch. And, and you know, if someone's like, oh, we're doing this thing now about. Um, whoever, yeah, Survivor of the Titanic, that could be very fascinating. Mm-hmm. But yeah. this,
0: yeah, or a movie about you know what happened to the shipping industry after the Titanic. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, whatever. But just not the Titanic itself. You know, as far as how it's made, the the miniseries is made. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, it, it's a well done mini. I mean, it's it's, it's well very done. smartly it's, done. I felt it's, like it's you can kind of well, tell that they're working on a budget yeah. much smaller than James Cameron's. Um, but that being said, they do it in such a intelligent way of filming it, you don't really feel it in every single scene. Yeah, it's just and they they cleverly shoot and edit around their budget.
0: yeah, you know, and all of the actors do great. and mm-hmm. you know there there's nothing there's nothing wrong about the production value. it It has great production value. Um, it, um, it I think kind of the other thing that really frustrated me is was going into it, knowing how the story was going to play out in that, you know, the very first episode you're watching, you go through it they hit the iceberg the boat is sinking, you see all of these people in peril kind of thing, and they're all like holding hands at the end, or you know, whatever they're doing, and then it goes to the credits and you're like, oh ho! And then the next episode is exactly the same thing, basically.
1: Yeah, that was, I think, a misstep that was one of my Mm -hmm. bigger problems with it as well is that is that style of storytelling is the first three episodes are almost exactly the same episode over and over again, where you start before the Titanic was built and you end with it beginning in, to sink. Yeah, kind of and then the process. fourth episode is just the sinking. Yeah.
0: And you know what? I get why they would do that. I think it, it kind of makes sense to tell all of these stories and you don't get quite as confused about the
1: characters and stuff. Maybe, maybe, but, but, like, watching it, like, maybe if I watched it in real time when it was first on television, that might make more sense. But sitting down with the DVD, it's, like, this really bizarre emotional roller coaster that actually works against you and detaches you from everybody by the end of it. Yeah.
0: Like, I truly, once I made it through the first episode, I was like, I truly do not care enough to watch another episode. hmm Like, I already know what happens to the people in the first episode. A few of them will live, a few of them will die. <laughs> and... Yeah. And I just have to have at least two or three more episodes of just seeing this over and over again. And I don't know. It just, it didn't really work for me.
1: So, know, and that's honestly, that's, I, I think I described it this one, the podcast yeah. that by the, by that fourth episode, it felt like a very strange kind of horror film where you're just kind of waiting for people to die in cruel ways. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, Oh, it's just, which one is it going to be this time? Oh, it's, it's him. Okay. Oh, this time it's going to be her. She's going to die. Okay. Yeah, and it's, there's a there was a weird detachment that took place, but
0: yeah, no, exactly. So, and, so
1: that's, that's interesting though because I, I was curious about your take on it because I did feel like for its faults, it really did kind of do what Downton Abbey does so well, which is explore some of those classes and do it in a less sensationalized way, in a probably slightly more grounded, realistic mm-hmm. approach, I, despite I, using fictionalized characters. Yeah, I,
0: I I love all of the Downton Abbey stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And if it was probably any other setting than the Titanic, it would probably still
1: work for me. hmm You know? Um, I, yeah, I could totally see that. So I think... I, I almost wish he had just, like, went ahead and added that character from Downton Abbey, since there were so many fictional characters, yeah. and just make it, like, a weird Downton Abbey prelude. Like, that
0: actually <laughs> might have... That might have actually made me watch it. more. you know, have that character, have the the cousins or whatever they are. On yeah.
1: The sh- and See, seeing the people from downtown like wishing him off at the yeah. beginning. And it, I, I don't know. Anyway, we'll move on from that. Yeah. I was um, going to say
0: that's probably, probably the last you will hear of this Titanic mini series on this podcast listener, yeah. which I know at this point you all just have to be horribly sad about. Um, Cause it's, <laughs> I'm sure all of your favorite things.
1: I'll never let go. <laughs> oh. but, so, I have had an ongoing feud with HBO. I don't think they're aware of it, um, but I have been uh, kind of frustrated with HBO for the past couple of months. Um, To catch everybody up to speed, basically I've been frustrated that you have to be a subscriber to cable and HBO to watch any of their programs or their content, unless you're willing to wait a year for it to be released on DVD and or Blu-ray. There's no way to watch any of their shows um, on iTunes or on Hulu or Netflix until it's released on DVD and Blu-ray, and even then you have to, on you know you have to purchase it. Basically, um, they have HBO on the go or HBO Go, but it's only for subscribers, and it turns out it's only for subscribers up from specific cable packages. Um, so after Kelly and I watched the first episode of the Newsroom, we decided we're going to take the plunge. We're going to get back. We're going to get cable TV back, even though we haven't had it for probably two years at this point. Um, we kind of looked at our our budget and we're in a slightly better place today than we were two years ago and also if I cancel a couple of my other things that I have going out monthly um, we would actually basically break even
0: yeah fun you know you've got the newsroom you've got um game of thrones game of thrones, uh, you've got
1: boardwalk empire yeah, they've got a lot of good stuff going on right now yeah absolutely there's a lot of great stuff and so i was super excited the guy showed up this morning and woke me up i would forgotten he was coming today <laughs> and had been writing since until three in the morning so he woke me up and he's he setting the whole thing up and it looks great and you know, we have a, a pretty decent little package of, uh, of channels in HD and I'm, I'm super excited I sit down to start programming in my stuff like I want you to record this, I want you to record this I don't want to miss that and all of a sudden my DVR is telling me that I can't record HBO programs <laughs> and literally like HBO is probably half the reason we are getting AMC might be the other half <laughs> but it's like HBO is basically half the reason that we're taking this plunge to get back into it. And I don't know, and, you know, listeners, please tell me. Maybe I'm doing this all wrong. Um, Maybe I'm really hoping that I'm able to record when the show first airs. Because at this point, you know, uh, Game of Thrones and Boardwalk Empire have both completely aired all of their shows, all of their episodes. And so I was going to try to record them so we could, you know, catch up. So it's possible I can I just can't record those or I just can't record HBO2 which is the channel that it was telling me all the shows were on. But uh, come on HBO. <laughs> it's the it's it's the 21st century at this point and like everybody's basically doing it. All the cool kids have their shows on in other ways and I know that HBO is the whole the way, you know, there's never going to be a time when our channels are a la carte and I can just pick and choose which awesome Uh, television channels I want, that might not ever happen, but there's got to be ways that HBO can fight online piracy because I really am trying to do it the legal way. I really feel like this is a a very easy stand for me to make, and it's one that I'm okay making and let's do this, let's not download stuff, but honestly guys, there's no question why your stuff is being torrented. When, When this is how basically you treat Your customers if they can't if we can't at this point we are expected to be able to watch our shows when we want Mm. you know we are we're subscribers now we have uh epb fiber optics coming into the house so that we can watch these shows in high def we're willing to pay that extra money why can't we watch game of thrones on a tuesday night instead of the saturday night or sunday night whenever it airs why can't we do that? Why do we have to play by these old antiquated rules from the 1900s? <laughs> <laughs> um, I it's do, just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I do have one question, not to diagnose here, but just something for you to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, on your on through your service, which you mm-hmm. know, I know it's not one of the the main carriers that does, you know, that works with the HBO Go. Yeah. Um, do they have an HBO on demand channel? where you can watch everything for free
1: maybe I'm gonna look into that because like literally it just happened this afternoon yeah and then I ran and did some errands and now we're recording this so I haven't fully explored it but I'm kind of frustrated but here's the good news I'm now paying for this content which removes any guilt I have of downloading this stuff off the internet I am paying for this content so uh don't come after me HBO (laughs) nice (laughs) <laughs> well, that's I, honest. I mean, that is the one uh, kind of loophole I've always been okay with is like we, for example, I've I've in the past subscribed to Doctor Who on iTunes uh, so that I get the episodes a day after they air on the BBC. I've never had a problem downloading Doctor Who Saturday night and watching it Saturday night as opposed to watching it Sunday night. I'm like, I'm paying for this. And I might end up taking the same approach now with Game of Thrones and Boardwalk Empire until we get caught up because i'm paying for it and you're not letting me watch it so i'm going to find a way to watch it (laughs) yeah that's my own little weirdness and but moving on
0: indeed so there you go hbo get your act together
1: (laughs) come on dudes i want to watch your stuff
0: (laughs) um yeah so there you go um you want to move into butch cassidy the sundance kid why wouldn't i um <laughs> let's do it
1: let's do it let's <laughs> number it. 73 on afi's top 100 films butch cassidy and the sundance Kid, starring paul newman and robert redford
0: yes uh take it away scott what do you think
1: um you- this is a fictionalized account of two real desperado outlaws from uh, the american west basically the movie starts off as we are we are introduced to these two characters that they are train robbers and bank robbers who are deciding that they should probably settle down. They're going to move to Bolivia because, is it the Pinkertons are after them? Somebody. The, I, believe, the government. I believe it is
0: the Pinkertons, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly.
1: Yeah. Um, basically, they are being tracked down. People are tired of them stealing their money. And so they're going to, uh, go, to go somewhere where they um, can live a normal, happy life without having to be outlaws anymore. And that's kind of the pitch. Um, of course, um, them being outlaws, this doesn't quite go according to plan, and so they end up being bank robbers and train robbers down in Bolivia as well. Exactly. Yes, yeah.
0: uh, that sounds great. Um, yeah, it's you know it's definitely a classic um, western kind of movie. Um, you know, what for me, this movie really fits in with the Wild Bunch that we reviewed oh, here. Absolutely. Um, Completely different style of movie. Um, it's tonally,
1: completely different, but thematically almost identical.
0: Exactly. It's uh, Both movies are really about kind of the the end of the Old West. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of that, you know, moving away from John Wayne into kind of the reality of what the West actually was. Or, or even kind of the hyper-reality of, you know, yeah. ultra-gritty or ultra, you know... Um, you know the wild bunch does it with violence
1: and this one kind of does it as well but it does it completely internally like i feel like this movie kind of shows you the old and the new west in the same movie it's like it's kind of cut in half where we we find out kind of late in the film that despite them having been these outlaws and these gunslingers they never killed anybody before Mm -hmm. or at least paul newman never had um we kind of get the impression Robert Redford might be a little bit more dangerous. Um, but, and which, which really is kind of weird and it doesn't quite make sense because there are gunslingers and the first scene we see of Robert Redford is like, we're introduced that this guy is a guy who knows how to handle a gun. Mm-hmm. Yet they never killed anybody in all of this time. They only stole money. Uh, which to me kind of goes along the lines of kind of the the old clean West where People fell down, and there was never any blood. And, you know, there was, it was just kind of this happy, like, oh, don't you understand? They're just trying to make their own way. And, um, kind of heroes in a way. You yeah, know? kind of heroes in a way. And then they go down to Bolivia, and that's kind of the them jumping off the waterfall, I say, is like the end of the Old West almost. And yeah. they get, they get down there, and it's not idyllic in any way. It's just like, oh, this is really kind of awful. And they try to get a job and it doesn't quite work out and then they end up in a gun a gunfight with these four other outlaws and they basically murder them and it's done like in a super slow motion way and it's like it's really kind of i mean there's not a lot of blood that i remember but it's really it felt really graphic and traumatic mm-hmm. when it happened and it it's very different from the happy go lucky times of the first half of the film and then from there it kind of Continue. They continue to kind of spiral down this kind of dark tunnel until they're trapped in that bank or trapped in that building in Bolivia. with the army surrounding them. It's like it. There's this moment where I mean, and it comes up in the conversations uh, several times that the the old ways are gone. You know, mm-hmm. old ways are gone, Butch. It's you can't do that anymore. You know, this is this is how it is now, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting to me that you know this movie is really like you said a comment on the end of the old west it might even kind of in their own way be the end of the 60s looking towards the 70s this movie came out in 1969 and so it's interesting this very interesting film
0: yeah absolutely um you know it, which makes it very interesting because because uh, we covered so much of this ground before in
1: uh i would really recommend people you know check out our podcast on the wild bunch because it is a lot of the themes are the same it's just handled like where the wild bunch is this kind of hard rated r film this is a lighthearted pg film
0: right exactly with a uh, a bunch of montages
1: yes and that's maybe what i didn't realize until we just watched it um <laughs> honestly this is a little bit of a weak film when it comes to the story it's very light on story.
0: Yeah. It, it really is just kind of, man, at, at best, it's kind of a buddy movie. Yeah. Basically watching these two guys kind of on the run. I mean, it doesn't really, there's not much story content to it. It's just more, huh. here's these guys. And they, it, you know, it's almost, it, it, in some ways it kind of feels something also like, this is probably going to blow your mind that I'm going to say this, Scott, but kind of like easy rider almost where, (laughs) where there's not really that much story. It's just kind of like the ongoing adventures of these characters.
1: Um,
0: only with a little more direction because they're on the run.
1: Yeah. Um, but it's so weird. Like that, the first montage that comes up comes out of left field. (laughs) Like I remember the, like I I knew it was coming this time, but the first time I watched it, I went, wait, what? Um, (laughs) because like the movie just stops the it just grinds to a halt so that paul newman can ride around on a bike with um oh what's her name she's beautiful the girl in this um um forget her name she plays she plays the girl (laughs) (laughs) um she's really fantastic but he buys a bike Catherine ross yes Catherine ross um and for three minutes, we are treated to basically a 1960s music video for Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. And it's a wonderful song, and it's sh- the, the music video is shot beautifully. But you're like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> because like we we're even introduced to Katherine Harris's character as somebody who is dating Robert Redford, and now all of a sudden Paul Newman's here and flirting with her, and it's weird, and it just... And it's not the only montage. At least the second montage furthers the story. <laughs> like this, just seems like oh, hey, it almost felt like they didn't have anything to do for a day, and like, hey, let's go, let's go grab a camera and go shoot something. It'll be great.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a movie with weird pacing, and um, you know that said though, it's to me, it's always just been a really enjoyable kind of film. i, mean, I you know,
1: it's it's oh, it's it's extremely charming. Yeah. It, it, as negative as I might sound about the montages, I'm a man who loves a montage. The movie's <laughs> exceedingly charming. Yeah. It's
0: like I mean just uh, to me, to me the whole point of this movie aside from any of the you know political, not political, but the the changing climate of of the western right is uh it's really just about watching Robert Redford and Paul Newman and their chemistry together.
1: oh, and they are great. The scenes that they have together are fantastic mm-hmm. like, it's really just a good buddy comedy when the two of them are together. They clearly like each other and like working with each other, and the script really suits them it's It's fun like when they're when they're riffing back and forth, I love it, yeah, exactly
0: um. Which, uh yeah the you know the other thing i will call out for this movie is the cinematography in it mm-hmm. um you know this is a really very uh picturesque kind of movie it really yeah. it really works very well uh, and that's because conrad hall was the cinematographer on this movie and uh you know this is definitely um you know, Conrad Hall is one of the great cinematographers, and uh, you know, there's some really cool stuff in this movie that we could get into. I mean, just kind of that opening sequence as it, you know, kind of is in the mm-hmm. uh, in the sepia-toned kind of thing, moving yeah, it, it color kind of, the color stuff.
1: The, for yeah, so the opening credits is kind of done like as a really old school, kind of like you're in a theater watching a black and white film being projected on that's like one half of the screen, the other half are the opening credits. But then that sepia tone continues into the actual first scene of the film, which then kind of fades into color, which is really, really cool.
0: Yeah, and it's you know it's done in such a way that, you know, things are kind of done in these close ups and things back in this point, And then you don't really get the color until you start seeing the West. And you mm-hmm. know, once you get out into the countryside and, you know, you're really experiencing what it's like to be You know there i don't know it's it's a very cool um kind of thing and um,
1: well i think it's a technique that complements this change of tone you know it's like to me that it was like and that's it was like it was continually reinforced from the cinematography to the dialogue to the actual actions of the film you have this concept that this is the way we kind of remember it and this is the way it is and we kind of have to address that now because the times have changed exactly
0: um so now, yeah, Conrad Hall, definitely, you know, you may know him more from, uh, like, Road to Perdition or American Beauty, something like that, but, I mean, he's been, he has been uh, one of the great <laughs> cinematographers.
1: Yeah, he um, knows how to shoot a picture.
0: Yeah, since, uh, you know, since the 60s, so, um, yeah, good good stuff there
1: as well. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's almost all I have to really say on this Lauren there was a couple scenes that kind of surprised me in this uh in rewatching it. One was the introduction of Catherine Ross's character it's such it's such a uh <laughs> dare I, it's kind of this teasing almost kind of like naughty kind of a scene. It's kind mm-hmm. of weird to talk about but when it first begins it really kind of feels sinister because um she's introduced as a, this school teacher and Robert Redford is in her bedroom and he makes her start taking off her clothes. And at first you're like, because you've just been introduced to this character as this dangerous outlaw. You're like, I think something bad is about to happen. And then there's this wonderful twist that, you know, she knows who he is and she's playing this game with them. And this is just part of their relationship. And it's, it's, it turns out to be this really kind of charming, Uh, lovely little kind of almost uh, sexy kind of scene that I kind of always forget about when I watch this movie.
0: Yeah, There's, uh, I mean that's kind of the thing with this movie is there's all kinds of just really little great moments in it and little great sequences like that that you just you know uh, you know, the, the, I think I think the closing scene and the the waterfall yeah. scene are very memorable. But there's all kinds of like little moments that when you watch it, you go, "Oh yeah, that's in this movie too, isn't it?"
1: That reoccur- the reoccurring character who's guarding the safe in the train, yeah, like him. And then when they when they blow up the train car, well, Kelly had never seen this, and like we both just went, bah, Just laughed out loud, <laughs> you know, because the. We see them one time. They use dynamite to blow open a safe, and it's fine. The second time, they use way too much dynamite <laughs> and just blow th- this train car to smithereens. <laughs> and it is like one of the most unexpected and funny like uses of a of an explosion ever. Maybe,
0: yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, but, so yeah, go ahead. So, well, I mean, so what would you, what would you say? Kind of your final verdict is about this movie.
1: Um, I like this movie a lot more than I like The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Um, if you're going to watch one of them, I would go with this one, because I just think it's a lot more fun. Um, it's my kind of movie. It's it's funny, it's got a lot of adventure, and it's just kind of great. And overall, there are some weaknesses. like I think the uses of montage, especially watching it in light of it being on the AFI Top 100, I feel like the montages kind of speak to either a smaller budget or a, I don't know what, it kind of speaks, you know, it showed me that it kind of had a, maybe a weaker story structure than I remember it having. That being said, I still really, really enjoyed it. And I actually think both montages in their own way are fairly clever in the way, um, especially the second one, the way they kind of propel the story and show them traveling in a way that maybe they could not afford at all other than to use photographs, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I really like this movie. It's like, it's, I've always kind of counted it as one of my favorite films. Um, Especially in the Western genre, it's like, you really can't go wrong here. I would definitely check it out.
0: Yeah, I pretty much completely agree with Scott. It, um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's charming. It still has uh, several important things to the Western genre in it, you know, so you can get some of that, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. film schooling that you love so much, um, (laughs) But, you know, at the same time, it's just a very approachable, watchable kind of movie. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, overall still really holds up, I think, largely from the performances, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and just the really solid production value that it has. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, overall, it's it's just a really good movie, I think. hmm I don't know. That's, Absolutely. That's where I would land on it.
1: Absolutely. Um other suggestions, though. Like, if you maybe haven't seen this, or you're looking for th- other things that are like this, um, what I would say, what's interesting to me, uh, The Wild Bunch. We've talked about it a couple times in this. What really intrigues me about comparing these two is how identical they really are in story and in uh, the th- some of the themes of the two movies. Yeah. Tonally, completely different. But, I mean, you, it's almost as if you took the same um, outline and gave us two different groups of people and let them go make their own movie. And they both came back with, you know, butch cast, Sundance kid and the wild bunch.
0: Yeah. They're, Um, they're almost like weird bookends, like non symmetrical bookends to each other somehow.
1: Yeah. So if you're, you know, again, we had a podcast about the wild bunch, go check that out. Um, check out the wild bunch movie. Um, this movie reminded me of three movies though, that I would that I recommend wholeheartedly with the wild bunch. I go, meh. Um, Maverick with Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster is just a delightful Western comedy. Love you know? that movie. Yeah, it's, it's an adaptation of the old TV show Maverick, and basically you have Mel Gibson playing a, a gambler who's trying to collect on old debts so he can afford to get in on this big gambling uh, riverboat casino thing, and it's, it's just great. Um, the, the chemistry and the rapport that Robert Redford and Paul Newman had reminded me a lot of um george clooney and brad pitt specifically in oceans 11 yeah it's the same kind of fun it's you know two guys having a great time making a really fun kind of adventure caper movie um i would definitely recommend the recent oceans 11 and then watching this also kelly pointed this out uh to me how much robert redford young robert redford really looks like brad pitt yeah (laughs) And it immediately made me think of one of my favorite Brad Pitt movies, Spy Game, in which he co-stars with Robert Redford. Um, great Tony Scott uh, spy thriller. Yeah, that,
0: I, I love that movie. It's uh, it's one of my favorite spy films. Yeah,
1: it's it's great. If you haven't seen it, you really need to check it out. It's just it's a solid um, spy thriller, slight action movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to give anything away about it. It's just, it's great. But basically, though, what you get to see, the, set, the, the inciting event in the movie is Brad Pitt is uh, captured by the enemy. And he was trained in by uh, Robert Redford. And so the whole movie is basically about Robert Redford trying to save Brad Pitt, while also we examine how they first met and how he got trained in and it's it's a great movie it's really really good
0: yeah no i definitely high on my list of of spy movies um let's see other movies that we could say um you know if you're looking for kind of more of that robert redford paul newman chemistry um you know they did a movie shortly after this called the sting
1: which you may have heard of um Did it like reunite like everybody? Same director, same everything. It had had a lot of the people
0: in it. Um, I'm not sure who all came back or not for it, but I mean, it had a lot of a lot of people. You know, but the big the big pull was to reunite. Redford and Newman, and I mean, like that was like their entire marketing campaign and everything for it is that you know people loved Robert or you know Redford and Newman in
1: yeah. If I remember correctly, the trailers were like, "Look who's back" or "Look who's back at it again." Yeah, as if it was a sequel. It was
0: yeah. And if anything, I think The Sting is actually a much better movie than Butch Cassidy and Sundance. Um, I think the story is stronger. I think. I mean, just everything about the recreation of, of the 1920s, and uh, you know, it's just to me, it is an amazing movie. Uh, you know, the it, it launched almost single handedly, kind of this whole um, heist or um, con artist kind of movie um, that you didn't. Man, I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic movie, um, and if anything, you know, Redford and Newman are better in it than they are in Butch Cassidy. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I, I love The Sting. Can't say enough good things about it. It's, it's probably in my top ten films of all time. Love that movie. Yeah. Um, let's see. Something else you can watch if you really like Paul Newman um, and kind of his whole wacky persona kind of thing. There's a movie called The Secret War of Harry Frigg, where he is a private during World War II um, who basically gets in trouble a lot and is always put in the brig and then is very good at escaping. And uh, turns out there's these generals... In Italy who get captured um, by the Nazis and uh, they basically need somebody to spring them out so this you know private is basically promoted to about as high of a general as you can be um and is sent to be captured by the Nazis and placed in the same jail with them and uh, to, to break them out and it's nice. it's just a lot of fun um, I don't know I'm sure there's better Paul Newman movies but that's always been kind of a favorite just kind mm-hmm. of fun movie that I always liked mm-hmm. um, yeah that's just a couple of things um, I'm sure there's a lot more but uh,
1: that'll get you started yeah definitely <laughs> to wrap up here guys we're going to give you something new next week we're, uh, we were looking at the films that we've been talking about we're, go- we're still working off the AFI Top 100 but we thought we might kind of break things up and instead of uh, working our way up this list, uh, we're going to go to the very top. We're going to start at the top and work our way down, and then we might come back here. You never know what we might end up doing. But next week, come back for our episode in which we discuss number one on AFI's top 100 films: Citizen Kane.
0: Yeah, we're jumping all the way to the big guns next. We week.
1: just skipped 70 films. Yep. Not a big deal. So, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely make sure you tune in. It will be epic.
1: I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it's a double long episode there's a lot to be said about citizen game tons that can be said about citizen game <laughs> so we'll uh, try to streamline it as best we can to really give you something to you know some food for thought this is definitely going to be an episode that you're going to want to visit our website on because I think we're going to need to put some of that information on the website and some of the information on the podcast it's going to be good
0: indeed so all right well we will see you next time with our legend wait for it dairy episode <laughs> about citizen king <Kane. laughs> uh, until then you can always check us out at movies love.com on facebook at facebook.com slash movies you should or at twitter uh or on twitter at movies you should that's that is us that is how you can tell us what you think so uh until next time uh, we'll just be here uh waiting to hear from you <laughs> yes we will
1: <laughs> you've been listening to the movies you should love podcast join in the conversation at movies yeah and having seen do we need to pause it sounds like you have a mailman